John 10. John 10, I'm going to read the first 21 verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a, de can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Father, we ask that you would be near to us this morning. God, we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit in interpreting and in applying and in sharing the truths that we find in this passage. Father, we ask you to um, give us life. God, give us life abundant. God, show us what that is and whet our appetites for it. Father, we do pray for those who are grieving, those who are suffering, those who are struggling with illness. God, we ask for your healing. God, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to bring healing. And God, to, to put your hedge of protection around this body of believers. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in John 10, Jesus reveals himself as the shepherd, okay? Um, now, even maybe more importantly, he reveals uh, that we are sheep. Now, in, in Jesus' parables, whenever he told stories, whenever he used illustrations, yeah, he, he told a bunch of different uh, ways to describe the people of God. You know, we're the body of Christ, we're the bride of Christ. We're, there's lots of different images that Jesus used for people uh, his people. However, I would say if you look cover to cover in the Bible, this is one of the most prominent images of God's people. So in other words, when, when you think about yourself in relation to God, uh, I think it's pretty solid to say, you know, a good way to think of yourself is as a sheep, okay? 
And, and again, this is everywhere in the Bible, right? Psalm 23, we're going to look at that here in just a minute. But, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, right? Like we, we are his, his fold, his flock. Psalm 100, verse 3, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Isaiah 40, 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd and he will gather the lambs in his arms. First uh, Peter 2, 25, you were straying like sheep. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Mark 6, 34. The crowds are like sheep without a shepherd. Why, why are we sheep, you know? Why, why aren't we uh, cattle or uh, crocodiles or giraffes? Or I, I don't know. Why, why, why sheep, okay? I, I think there's something very specific that God is teaching us here. A couple things maybe. First of all, it's very clear because sheep are dependent, Okay. Like, like you don't ever see, uh, you know, no, nobody in, in Northwest Oklahoma hunts wild, uh, feral sheep, you know, like, like no, nobody does that. Why? Because if you leave a, sh- uh, a herd of sheep out, a flock of sheep out by themselves and, and no one takes care of them, they just die. Like, like they, they, they can't take care of themselves. They're, they're incredibly dependent animals. They, they need a shepherd to lead them out and lead them in and lead them to pasture and lead them to water and lead them to good grazing. They need that. Man, uh, uh, being in India helped me so much with, with these images because everywhere you go, like when you're, especially in the mornings and the evenings, you, you can't go anywhere over like 10 miles an hour because there's these young kids with these little sticks and they're taking the sheep out and they're bringing the sheep back like every day, every morning, every night. And they, and they, they go on the road. Uh, it's, I guess it's the easiest way to walk to wherever they're going. But like they're, they're on the road and they got their little group of sheep there and they're calling out to them. And they've got, got a little shepherd crook deal stick there. And they're, they're taking the sheep out. They're bringing the sheep back. You know, they take them out to pasture. They stay out there with them. And then they bring them back at night and they put them in the sheepfold. Like that's just the way of life. And sheep are dependent and they follow their shepherd. They know his voice and they'll follow him. Like, like a shepherd that has spent a lot of time with his sheep, he can actually call them by name and they will come. They will come to him. Sheep are vulnerable. They can't defend themselves against predators. They fall and they can't get up. I guess there's some sheep that if they fall on their back, they're like a turtle. You know, like, like they, they literally can't get up. Or then uh, somebody in this church had the fainting goat deal, you know? Like if they get scared, just bam, they're just over, you know? Like talk about easy prey for a predator, you know? It's the thing that you scare them and and they lay down so you can eat them. You know, I mean, uh, that like sheep are, are vulnerable, dependent creatures. Isaiah 53, 6 talks about all we like sheep have gone astray. In other words, they wander off. They get lost. They can't find their way back. They don't do well on their own. You are like that, okay? I know you don't want to believe that, okay? Right? You don't. Like, like honestly, none of us want to believe that. All of us want to think we're independent people. I can take care of myself. I'm not vulnerable. You know, I, 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 I can handle myself. All of us desperately want to believe that. I'm just telling you the Bible says it's not true, okay? Like, like you can believe yourself or you can believe the Bible. What the Bible says about you is you need a shepherd. Like, you're dependent. Like, you're not going to flourish in your life without following a shepherd, without, without a shepherd to take care of you. And Jesus is the good shepherd, all right? Now, good as opposed to there are a bunch of bad shepherds out there, okay? I really believe that John 9 and 10, you ought to read them together, okay? So in John 9, you got this blind man, right? And nobody's ever been able to help him. And all of a sudden, he meets Jesus. Jesus heals him. And then what happens? The religious leaders, the, the, the shepherds of that day, man, they're horrible to him. Like, like they interrogate him. They, they accuse him. They bully him. And then finally, they cast him out. 
You know, and, and I think in the context of that, here comes Jesus saying, guys, I'm the good shepherd. Like, I'm not like those guys. I, I actually love and take care of my sheep. So Jesus is the good shepherd. Now, this passage tells us a bunch of stuff that Jesus does as the good shepherd. But here's the big one, okay? The big one that you see in verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, verse 18, four times in this passage, it says this one thing, and it says this, Jesus lays down his life for the sheep, okay? So, so the primary thing I think this passage is telling us is that Jesus gives life to his sheep. He's willing to lay down his life for the sheep, okay? Now, now you, you'll notice he, he, he talks about the, the wolf coming and, 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 and the thieves and the robbers. So in other words, the sheep are threatened, okay? Look at verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 and 13 says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Okay, the difference between Jesus and the hired hand is a hired hand is not going to put his own life in jeopardy for $8.50 an hour, right? Like, like he's, he's just working a wage. And if there's like real danger, man, he, he's, he's not messing with it. He's, he's fleeing and he's going to let the wolf have the sheep, okay? But Jesus was someone so committed to you that he laid down his own life for his people, all right? Now, now, another thing I think we have a hard time trying to get our heads around is that somebody wants to destroy us. Like, like we, man, we don't want to think that either, right? But listen to what this says, okay? So you've got the image of the wolf. You've got the image of the thieves. And then the, the most clear is in John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. All right, so one of the things that I think we have to embrace if this is really going to hit home to us is that there is a force, there is a, 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 a Satan Okay, a devil who is trying to destroy your life. I, I, I think we act differently if we believe that. Okay, if you believe there's a force at work in your life that is trying to maximize your misery. He, he's trying to bring you to a literal hell on earth that will lead to a literal hell in, in, in eternity. He wants to keep you from Jesus. He wants to keep you distracted. He wants you to keep you feeling this artificial peace, this false security. His plan is that you would do anything but love Jesus and you would put your trust in anything but Jesus and you would quietly stumble into hell with a smile on your face. That's what he wants. And the Bible says that that's a reality, okay? So you have this enemy that seeks to keep you from life, from Jesus, and, and Jesus has come that you might have life. Ephesians 2.1 tells us that we are spiritually dead, okay? Meaning we don't see the glory of God. We don't value God as we ought to. We don't love him. We don't, by nature, we, we are spiritually blind and dead. But Jesus came to give us life. And how did he do that? By laying down his own life, right? Jesus fought with sin and he conquered it by living a righteous life, a perfect life that he's willing to give to you. Okay, that's the good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived the perfect life and he's willing to actually give you that life. Like put that life inside of you so that you are righteous before God. So that when God looks at you, you, you have Jesus' righteousness in you. And then he fought with death and, and he battled death and he defeated it by dying for your sins, paying the penalty for your sins, and then raising again because he has an indestructible life. I, I love the way that Jesus talks about his own life um, uh, toward the end of this passage where he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down again. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. Listen, 
I, I can give my life for you. You could give your life for me, right? You could push me out of the way of a truck and you get hit and I live. Okay, we could do that, but nobody like then gets back up, right? Like, like Jesus says, I can lay my life down and I can take it up again, all right? He can lay it down to pay the penalty for our sins and then he can take it up again to be our savior and shepherd, all right? So Jesus gives life. All those who are are joined to Jesus, they permanently have resurrection life. We looked at this passage when we looked in John chapter, um, I think it was 5, but I'm going to read it again because it's so good. It's, it's here in John 10, verse 27, all right? This is the permanent life that Jesus gives when, when a person repents of their sin and put their faith in Christ, they're joined to Jesus permanently, all right? I'm emphasizing permanently. Listen to verse 27 of John 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given, to me, given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. All right? Now, what's he emphasizing there? Man, once he's got you, he's got you forever, right? Like, he will not let you go. No one can pry you out of his hand. Once you're joined to the resurrected Jesus Christ, he puts his spirit inside of you, he gives you eternal life, and you're alive forevermore, right? That, that's the work of the shepherd. Okay, so Jesus brings us to life. He laid down his life to bring us to life. But the, the, the word I want to focus on for the rest of today is this, it's in John 10, 10, okay? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life. And then this little sweet phrase that I want you to think about, okay? I want to spend the rest of time thinking about this. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What does that mean? Okay, so Jesus is the good shepherd. He laid down his life to bring you to spiritual life, okay? But he came that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. Now, the word abundantly in the Greek, it means extraordinary. It means more than enough. That's a literal definition, more than enough. It means a remarkableness, okay? So in other words, God, God's given you life in Jesus, but it is more than just being alive. It is actually this abundant, extraordinary, more than enough, remarkable life. What does that mean? What does it mean? And here's my challenge. I believe depending on how you answer that will depend on what you do with your life, like who you pursue and how you respond to the word of God and whether or not you go home tonight and open up your Bible and you do some soaps. Why? Because you want this, okay? So what does it mean that Jesus brings abundant life? Well, let me tell you a couple of things I don't think it, it can mean, okay? Number one, I don't think it can mean just a long life um, I, in the sense of just living a long time, like living to be 100 or living to be 110. I, I don't know that that's what abundant life is. Um, that my evidence for that would be that Jesus only lived 33 years on this life, and I don't know anybody that lived a more abundant life than him, all right? If you look through the, the pages of Christian history, there were all kinds of people who loved Jesus, followed Jesus, um, were, were, were great sheep, and looked to him as a shepherd who died young. Okay, so I, I don't think it's long life. And by the way, long life can be deceptive. I've known people who lived an exceptionally long time, very bitter and very angry and very unforgiving, and just honestly made everybody around them miserable. Okay, I don't think that's abundant life. 
I don't just I don't think breathing a long time on this planet is what Jesus meant by abundant life. Okay, now now I guess if if you think of well living forever, okay, well that that is something Jesus gives, right? He does give eternal life, right? He does live eternal life in, in the new heavens and the new earth. If you are joined to Jesus in a faith relationship, then you will live millions upon billions of years in the new heavens and the new earth. And Ephesians 2 says, what do you mean doing? Well, God has plans, okay? Ephesians 2 says, God has a plan to to set upon you and show you his surpassing goodness and kindness in the ages to come. Okay, in other words, what's God going to be doing? Every day he's going to be like, all right, guys, watch this, you know? And he's going to like reveal more of his goodness, more of his kindness, more of his, his incredible glory to us. So in that sense, yeah, a long time. But I, I really don't think abundant life here is just simply length of life. I also don't think it's easy life. Man, I, I think we get tripped up on this all the time, okay? You, you, gotta, you gotta stop this gut reaction in yourself of thinking that abundant life, that the life is an easy life. A lot of people live their lives trying to navigate easiness. Like, like I'm gonna avoid hard things, I'm gonna avoid hard people, I'm gonna avoid you know, anything that makes me, makes me sacrifice or is costly, and, and, and that's how I'll really be happy is if I just have a comfortableness in my life. I just do not believe that's true at all. On the contrary, for most of the Christians in the New Testament and really most of the Christians around the world, following Jesus actually brings some hardship in your life. It actually brings difficulty in your life. And by the way, an easy life can be incredibly deceptive. A few, few weeks ago, Gary preached on Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is all about a Christian who looks around and says, man, look at those people. They are wicked, and yet their life is really easy. And he starts to get jealous until he sees their end, until he sees the thing crashing down upon them in, in, in judgment and the wrath of God. Folks, an easy life can be really deceptive. In Luke 16, you have this, this contrast between one guy who had an incredibly easy life. It said he feasted sumptuously. I don't know what that means, sumptuously. I'm not, I don't use that. Do you use that in your, you know, when you leave McDonald's, you're like, well, that was sumptuous, you know? Uh, so, I mean, we just don't use it very often, you know? But, but I, I think what it means is, like, man, he just had a bunch of everything, and it was all easy. He's, it, we don't know his name. We just know him as the rich man. And then at his gate, remember the guy, Lazarus? Man, he's, he's, got, he's got hell trouble. He's got sores all over him. His only friends are stray dogs who come and lick the pus off his sore. I mean, literally, that's, that's, the, that's the picture we get in Luke 6. I mean, a guy who had like the worst life possible, but, but he loved God. And, and then all of a sudden, they both die. And man, the roles are reversed. And, and Lazarus is at Abraham's side. And the rich man's in torment in hell, pleading that Lazarus would come over and dip his finger on his tongue to relieve his, his pain and agony. So an easy life is really can be deceptive. You can easy it right into hell. Okay, so what does it mean that Jesus gives life and he gives it abundantly? What does it mean to have life to a greater degree of lifeness? Okay, one way you might look at it is that Jesus is life. Remember that? That's what we learned. We learned that. We, we've been saying that every week since we started this this uh, study in John, because right away in John chapter one, verse four, it says of Jesus, in him was life and the life was the light of men. All right, so in Jesus is life. Okay, so from Jesus, okay, comes life. So, so if you have 
more of the shepherd, okay? If you're hearing his voice, following him, if you got Jesus in you, okay, what's gonna come out of there? All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you what I think, okay? Actually, this is, it's probably a much, much broader than what I'm gonna say, but I think these three categories would definitely be a part of what it means to have life abundantly. Number one, life abundantly means an increase in the degree of knowing and relating and experiencing God. It's gotta mean that, right? I mean, that, that's why Jesus came, was to reveal to us the glory of God. That's what brings us to life. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, is that when we see the light of the glory of the gospel, and we believe, okay? And so knowing God's gotta be a part of that equation. And then you have these kind of verses in the Bible that just whet my appetite for more of God. Psalm 36, 8 says, they feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. Right? Do, you, do you see what the psalmist is saying? He's saying that, that God has this river of delight that we tap into. Okay, now, the Bible is saying that over and over and over and over and over again, a whole bunch of ways. Psalm 1611, I preached a funeral Friday. I used it. I use it almost every funeral because it, to me, it's, this, this is the hope. Psalm 1611 says, in, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Like most of the time, we're just, we're, just, we're just on the floor looking for scraps. You know, we're just looking for scraps that have fallen off the table that, that, that we're grabbing and, and trying to get these little bits of joy. Okay, but if we just stand up, that Jesus provides this table of, of knowing God and experiencing God and walking with God and hearing his voice and responding in obedience. And, and the Bible says very clearly, that's where delight is. That's where peace is. That's where joy is. That's where fullness is. All right, and so, so life abundant has to, in some way, wrap around an increasing degree of knowing and relating to and experiencing God. Number two. This abundant life, okay, has to be one that, that, that means it's an increasing degree of loving and enjoying others. Okay, now, those two always go together in the Bible, right? What's the greatest commandment? Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the next one? Love your neighbor as yourself. Like, those always go together. In fact, the more we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the more we will love other people as well. Jesus came not only to bring peace between us and God, but to bring peace between us and others. Okay, and so there's this principle in the Bible that what is Jesus doing in people who follow him? Well, he is bringing about a great love in you for other people. Romans 5.5 5 says that God has poured out his love in our hearts. He's put his love in us, and that love is to go out to others. Okay, so people who genuinely love others live a high degree of life. People who can care for and enjoy all kinds of people, those are the people who are living. So Jesus, as the good shepherd, he's gonna lead you. And what he's gonna lead you is, he's gonna lead you to love other people. Now, is that hard? Always. Why do you, why do you not wanna be in a small group? Um, there's probably various reasons, but normally it just comes down, if people are super honest, 
it's just hard. Like, I, I'll go meet people that I don't really know, and then I got to entangle my life with them. And, and like, some of them are going to annoy me, and they're going to irritate me, and, you know, and they're going to have problems, and I'm going to feel like I need to help. You know, like, there's just all that mess, okay? And, and so, again, we're drawn to pull away from that. You pull away from that, you're pulling away from life. Because as you follow the good shepherd Jesus, he's going to lead you to love people. And he's going to transform you to enable you to love people. He's going to put his love in your heart. And you're going to, you're going to, that love's going to flow out to others. And if you resist that, you're resisting life. Man, I'm telling you, I have 195 examples of this. Okay? That's how many funerals I've done here at Lincoln Avenue. It's 195. And when you look at people's lives, okay, that's, that's what... That's what I do when I do a funeral is I, I, I study their life. I think of everything I can think about them, all my conversations with them, everything I know about them. I talk to their family. I put it all up on a whiteboard in my office and I just look at their life. And then I tie that to the gospel, of course. But, but I'm looking at their life and I'm saying, okay, God, like what was this person's life about? And I, I'll guarantee you the degree of happiness of that person and the degree of impact of that person is always it's always in line with their connection to other people. I, I, hardly ever is it very significant the amount of money that they made. Hardly ever is it significant the things they accomplished in their work. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Because we all like are killing ourselves for those things. And I'm telling you, when you're putting somebody in the ground, those things hardly ever matter at all. But what always matters is how do they love people? Like what was their connection? What, what kind of capacity did they have to give of themselves for other people? Man, that matters. That so matters. And so if you're trying to live with hate in your heart or harboring unforgiveness or you, you just can't bear with difficult people, you, you can't be patient with broken people, if you're trying to, if you're trying to live with partiality, you, you are, here's what you're doing. You are living a lesser degree of life. Okay. Like, like Jesus came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And man, you're shrinking that down. Okay. If you're, if you're a hermit, you know, your, your idea is I'm going to hold away and just have as little contact with people as possible. And just, just okay. You, you're shrinking your capacity to live, to live the abundant life that God's called you to live. Number three, there's three big areas that I think Jesus means here. Number three, an abundant life is one with an increasing degree of fruitfulness and kingdom usefulness. Okay, so um, as we travel through John, we're going to hit this big passage coming up pretty soon, John 15. And John 15, Jesus is talking about what does it look like when a person like, like, like abides in him, plugs in, to Jesus' life, plugs in to who he is, what he's done, what he's calling us to do. What does it mean when you plug into Jesus, okay? John 15, five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm gonna read verse eight, a couple verses down. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What is Jesus saying there? He, he's saying, man, when you, when you get more of me, what happens is you become more fruitful. You become more useful in, in the kingdom of God. 
2 Peter verse one, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, talks about adding virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness to your faith. And it says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, when you're increasing in those things, you become useful and fruitful. What happens? You build up other people in Jesus' name. Like Jesus is working through you and you're an instrument of God to build the faith of others. Kinsey quoted Hebrews 10, 24. That's, that's our, our small group verse for this semester. Usually it's Romans 1, um, 8 through 11, but, but this year we picked uh, Hebrews 10, uh, 24 that talks about uh, considering how, how you can stir one another up to love and good deeds, not forsaking the meeting of yourselves together, right? So it's a verse that says, you know what you ought to be doing? You ought to be thinking about how can I stir up my small group? How can I stir up that person, that person, that person? How can I stir them up to love and good deeds? How can I be used of God to build up other people? Listen, don't stop being fruitful. Don't stop being useful. There's this competing idea going around about life, and, and, it, and it goes this way. The more you can detach yourself from responsibility and hard things, the more you will live. Now, I'm just telling you, Jesus said opposite things in that, okay? So, so on the one end, you got the American dream, Detach myself from responsibility and hard things, and that's when I'll really live? Or you got what Jesus said. <laughs> and, and he said, pour out your life for others. Be fruitful. Be useful. Now, I, I just want to appeal with you now, because once you're in the casket, I, I can't talk to you anymore. Um, don't, don't stop. Don't stop. Like, don't stop caring for people. Don't stop pouring yourself out in some meaningful way. Like, don't stop doing that. Here's what's true. Once you stop things, you seldom ever start them back up. I'm talking about as you get older. I remember my, my grandpa, man, and my, and my grandpa, actually, the grandpa I'm talking about, lived his old age really well. He actually lived really well. Um, like, he stayed in the game a long time. But, like, one of the things I noticed about him is, he, when we went from an L combine to an L2 combine, the only significant difference I remember is it had a digital console. And my grandpa was like, I'm out, dude, I'm out, you know. I don't know what them lights are, but that's Star Wars, and I'm out, you know. Like, he would, he just, he, and he, and he, and he never got back in a combine again. And he drove those bobtailed trucks with no air conditioning. I mean, the hottest, most miserable place in the field the rest of his life. When you stop, you usually don't start back up again. So I'm just telling you, don't stop. Okay? I want you to live. Okay? All right. So how does Jesus the Good Shepherd lead us to this abundant life? Man, our time is gone. Where'd that happen? Okay. Um, wait, real quick. Okay, we can do this. All right. Uh, John 10, 3. All right, a couple things here. First of all, uh, the Bible tells us that 
that Jesus calls out his sheep by name, okay? So he calls out his sheep by name, and he leads them out, okay? So the picture is a bunch of sheep in a sheepfold. Shepherd comes to the door, to the gate, and he, and he calls his own out by name, right? I, I love that he calls you by name. Why? It's a personal response, Okay, so and if you read your New Testament, you've seen this, right? Jesus is walking by Matthew's tax booth. He stops. Hey, Matthew, you, come follow me, right? Jesus is walking under a tree. Zacchaeus is up there to try to get a view. He stops, looks up. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. You know, follow me, right? Like there's a personal call to his people, right? This is not a generic call. I think sometimes when, when we're reading the scriptures, we, we almost try to hide through the fact that, okay, this is for everybody, Right, Because when it's for everybody, we feel like it's okay if I don't respond. Right? If, if, I say, if, I, if I say this, hey, whoever would like to, I'd like, I'd like for you to come follow me after this service. We're going to go to the playground and we're going to pull stickers so that our, our, our playground is ready for, for children's ministry. Okay? If I said that, what would most all of you do? You'd be like, well, somebody else will do that, right? Like, uh, like you would. I would do that, right? But, but like it gets awkward when I say, Tony, would you follow me after the service and we're going to go to the playground and pull stickers? Now he's got to say yes or no. It's, it's, there's more pressure, okay? What I want you to realize is when you're reading the Bible, you're saying yes or no. Like he, he calls a sheep by name. And you're either saying, yeah, I'll follow, or you're saying, no, I'm not. But one thing you're not doing is ducking your head and saying, well, he's surely talking to somebody else. You need to respond. Okay, so my sheep, my sheep, I call them by name. And then verse four, my sheep know my voice. And then it says in verse four, he goes before them. He leads the way. Okay, what, the way to where? Look at verse nine. This is kind of what ties it all together. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Where does he lead us to? Pasture. Okay, now if you don't know anything about sheep, cattle, whatever, pasture is like grazing, right? Like that's life, okay? Uh, let, let me take you to Psalm 23 real quick, okay? Psalm 23 is basically saying Jesus will lead you to everything you need and more, okay? That, that's, that's what Psalm 23 is saying. Let, let me, let's read it together. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What's that mean? It means I got everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. What is that? that? That is sustenance. That is nourishment. That is refreshment. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's guidance, wisdom. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That is Jesus enabling you to do hard things that you're afraid of. And, and, and he gives you confidence. And he gives you the ability to overcome your fear, okay? Verse 5, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know what my cup overflows is? I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's exactly what my cup overflows is. It's abundant life, okay? This is a testimony of the psalmist. Surely, verse 8 or 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's that? That's hope. That's how I have this confident expectation of good things to come. Okay, so where is Jesus leading his sheep? He says, I come to the gate. I call out my sheep by name. They know my voice. They follow me. Where? Pasture to life. Okay, so being convinced of that 
is maybe one of the biggest spiritual rocket fuel moments in your life. Like when you become convinced that what Jesus is calling you to do is actually leading you to abundant life, dude, that's a game changer. Like many Christians do not believe that. They'll, they'll read something in the Bible about sacrifice, about marriage, about giving, and they're like, oh, like I don't want to do that. I, that Man, if I do that, you know what the consequence of that will be? Okay, what, what is true about that statement? They do not believe that Jesus is leading them to life. But man, once you become convinced of that, well, then you open up your Bible and it's like, man, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Sacrifice for her. Be unconditional in your love. Bear with those who are, are, who are weak. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, that's the path to life. You know, you start opening up your Bible and you read these passages about money and giving and sacrifice. You're like, okay, that's the path to life. I want life. You know, you, you start opening up your Bible and you read these passages about, about sharing your faith and about giving your time and attention to the work of God. And you're like, okay, that's the path to life. I want life. You see, when you're convinced that Jesus, he's calling you out. And, and if you follow him, you're, you're going to pasture. Man, it gets good. Like, like you have confidence to follow him. You have confidence to do what he's telling you to do. As you do your soaps this week, I want you to think about that. Every passage you read in the scriptures, I want you to just consider, okay, Jesus is a good shepherd. And, and he's, he's calling me to follow him. And, and he's going to lead me where? To pasture. He's going to lead me to life. And I want life.